0: hello everyone it's dan bossy of old folks do grain back for another session of wisdom This will be the second uh, podcast as we build momentum going forward. But the discussion today will be held with Stephen Freed. Steve has just left ADMIS. Steve is a longtime grain expert, been in the business uh, even longer than I have, probably uh, four and a half decades. But Steve, just in his retirement, we wish him well, but we're going to talk about his career and then dive deeper into the grain markets in terms of what's ahead. Just a little background as we sit here today. World financial markets and macroeconomics are getting a lot more play in the world commodity markets. A lot of this is due to, of course, the regionalization and the problems, the contagion that's now facing U.S. banks. Now, I think all of the major banks are in good shape. They're bench tested by the U.S. government frequently. They're looking at balance sheets that are quite strong. But as we think about those regionals, we now know that Silicon Valley Bank and its failure in middle of March – was not an isolated event. Uh, Other banks are struggling with balance sheets that are holding debt that is now marked down because of rising interest rates. Whether or not that debt uh, becomes uh, uh, almost uh, death-inspiring is yet to be determined, but I think as we look forward, there will be more issues, and we now know that this indeed is contagion. This is a bank uh, worry for all regionals, and that I think the U.S. banking system will look more carefully going forward. Uh, As we think about the grain markets, though, it's this macroeconomic overcoat of regional banks that is giving us some pause. We also, of course, have the debt ceiling, which is pending for some time in late May or early June, and Republicans and Democrats are rearing back. That, of course, would not be positive for the U.S. dollar. I would imagine that if the U.S. dollar fell off sharply as the United States did not meet its obligations on paying bills, This would have bullish obligations for grains. But in the background, lingering is, uh, are we in a semi or uh, somewhat of a static uh, stagflation environment? Are we moving something that may be more deflationary? That'll be tend on the banking system. So big things to talk about with Mr. Freed. We'll be right back. Well, I'm so delighted today to be joined by Steve Freed, who's a longtime grained market analyst He's uh, been in this business, I think, longer than I have been. Steve, welcome to the podcast of Old Folks Do Grain, and uh, we thought you would be a, a a wonderful candidate based on your recent retirement to be our second podcastee. Welcome, Steve.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. I don't feel old, um, but I uh, got to the point where you know I just wanted to work from home. And, uh, you know, I have a contract with ADM to keep doing uh, the things in the morning that I've always been doing. So I still have my toe in the water. And um, I think that uh, the markets are very confusing. And so it's nice to kind of keep up with them on a daily basis to kind of figure out where they're going. Well, you know,
0: Steve. We talk in this podcast about us uh, experienced uh, analysts, if you will, bringing uh, some wisdom to the markets. And you're right; it is very confusing. But I also am well aware how once you're in this business of marking markets, it's hard to get the needle out of your arm. It's it's really uh, it's really something we wake up to every day. It's on our mind constantly. And I, I know you lived in the markets for how many years?
1: I've been with. Uh... ADM for 31 years. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, with uh, Dean Witter for a couple of years and then um, Continental Grain for another 10 years. And to me, the, the experience at Continental Grain was, was great. I was able to travel down to Brazil and Argentina. I was able to travel around all the US states that grow corn, beans, and wheat. And I was able to go to Canada Um, With Dean Witter, I was able to go to Europe and visit with a lot of the trading clients, especially in the soybean meal. Um, I was able to go to South Korea and uh, Taiwan uh, to visit with those people. And with ADM, three times I went to China and visited with all of the crushers there uh, with the ADM salesperson. So You know, I feel like I've touched and talked to a lot of people, and I know kind of where some of the key growing areas is in Brazil and Argentina, and I've kept up with uh, quite a few of those people that I met along the way. And uh, I think from a cash standpoint, um, with all this trading with algorithms and artificial intelligence, we've kind of lost the ability for cash to converge with futures which uh, leaves a lot of people who trade basis and cash kind of in the dark right now. Uh, When you have like the May, July corn spread near at all time highs, it suggests that the future is not doing a job of getting corn into the pipeline. And one thing I've also noticed is that we tend to trade uh, with especially artificial intelligence, um, things that we didn't normally trade like uh, Fed comments about interest rates and about, you know, global economy is, is important, but you still have to feed people. Um, it just seems like the buyers are trying to be more selective um, in and buying uh, the cheapest product, um, not necessarily the best quality. Um, and so on a day-to-day basis, you know, I still wake up 3 o'clock in the morning and I still look at reports that are out there about cash. I still think that's important. Um, I have a conversation with my weather guy. We go through all global weather conditions. And then I do um, a video. Uh, It's a very short YouTube video that kind of says, okay, this is what's going on. And for a lot of our customers, that type of video, that type of new communications gets them started in the morning and and talking to their customers. Um, It's ironic that with this price decline that we've seen since mid-April, farmers right now in the U.S. have sold a record low amount of new crop corn and soybeans. Uh, I think they're waiting for a weather bounce uh, to increase sales. But this is one time in which um, probably 9 Times out of 10, market t- continues to go down with favorable weather. Um, there was one consultant that has November beans trading down to $10 in the fall and Deese corn at 420 440 um, But our weather guy thinks it's going to be dry somewhere this summer. And so flip the switch at July 4th, and the market does have potential upside. So that's
0: the dilemma of today's complexity, I think, in the market, Steve, where you have this uh, situation, if you will, of uh, some abundance maybe in Brazil and some abundance with, you know, I'm calling it a new, I've got a new word for our our friends in Russia. It's now the Moscow Grain Exchange, the Moscow Mafia, in terms of selling wheat. Because after they kicked out most of the uh, multinationals, including uh, your firm, Uh, now it looks like Moscow is telling the traders over there what prices they need to sell to Egypt as they did to gas last week. Or I guess it was just a few days ago. So if we think about this, I mean, how does, you know, what do we tell farmers? What do we tell traders? I mean, uh, uh, banks are struggling in regional areas. Um, The dollar's declining. Um, uh, Where do we have confidence in terms of looking at opportunity?
1: I've had three meetings with farmers. Uh, one in Nashville with top producing farmers, and you know what I told them is that the trend of U.S. losing export share to the Black Sea and South America is going to continue. And there's some people that feel in the next 20 years uh, we will continue to lose market share, and we could come down to the point where our crops are for domestic use only. And I think farmers were pretty shocked. that potential uh, because on one hand, we may need less corn and and even less wheat acres at these low amounts. But conversely, with the soybean, we may need um, more soybean acres to handle all these plants that are making for biofuel. So uh, from a farmer standpoint, um, it's very tough to market when the only chance for a rally is when you have a lower crop or you have some kind of a drought situation. So for farm marketings, I think that they're, it's tough this year because they have money in their pocket and in the bank, and they're not being aggressive. Um, but, you know, if, if new crop beans go to 10 and 440, it's could have put a lot of strain on farmers because the cost of production does not go down. Um, and so, Uh, not like the price. I still think kind of deep in my bones that we are going to have a weather situation this year, Um, but it might be uh, just temporary and that the long-term outlook for U.S. domestic grain prices is still lower.
0: Well, I I would tend to agree with that, Steve, though. There's a side of us that always wonders about, uh, you know, the underinvestment in energy and the super cycle in the energy side. And we do have this demand driver, as you highlighted upon, which is called renewable diesel. And uh, will we have, of course, these soybean supplies? And how does that change over to more soybeans and less corn relative to the board and the market signals that are sent by Chicago? Um, You know. You bring up a very good point, though, in that uh, the United States has become domesticated by its grain supplies and its opportunities. And uh, I guess as I think about it, I suppose that's a good thing if the Chinese move more towards Russia and Brazil on its grain trade. But on the other side of that would be that maybe we limit ourselves an upside opportunity. Have we really become that residual supplier to the world markets or – Is it something that waxes and wanes depending upon everyone's weather?
1: Well, I think over the last few weeks, the market has been shocked by the fact that Chinese are canceling corn sales. Um, I also feel that uh, China is no longer buying beans from the U.S. uh, because Brazil is cheaper. And when you look at some of the PMI data out of China and the talk about them putting a black box around all their financial information and not really releasing it in the future. Um, that is something that the market needs to know what they're buying. And why? Um, it seems like they want to become more self sufficient um, in the wheat, the corn, and they're even trying to encourage farmers uh, to increase soybean acres. So, again, over the last couple of weeks, um, they decided to back away from the U.S. markets has been bearish. And I think that off, their weather conditions right now is off to some of the best start they've ever had. And and so looking for them to buy even cheaper U.S. corn prices or U.S. cheaper soybean prices um, may not happen. We also note that animal numbers in Europe, hog numbers are down. Uh, globally, uh, crush margins have collapsed in China and Argentina and here in the United States. And so um, and when we talk about more biofuel demand, do we get the beans from crops that we're growing that we're not exporting? Because there was some talk about Brazil beans coming in. But the problem is that nobody wants them with their low oil content. And I think California has already talked about not taking Brazil beans in. So uh, it seems like something that has to be done domestic to make sure these plants are fed for the biofuel and the jet fuel. And um, that has a lot of implications for what farmers can or, or cannot do. Um, as far as, you know, if you have a bean price, Ratio to corn that says you need to plant beans that they'll do that. Um, but if you stop the beans uh, from moving from the Western Midwest out to the P and W to China, uh, then that just makes less demand for uh, U.S. beans to China through the cheapest route off the P and W. So I think that we are going into a phase here of very deep transition. Um, used to wake up in the morning, look at cash basis levels, look at weather, and then watch the trading in the pit. And back in the early eighties, there was only one guy that traded the funds. And so it's almost like the movie Trading Places. When he stepped into a pit and started doing something, everybody followed. Um, And now it's rather in the dark of knowing uh, what these fund managers are doing and, uh, what, uh, and if I'm a small speculator or a farmer or even a commercial, I'm not trading these markets. They're too volatile. You know, my risk is, uh, just if I buy something, I sell the product immediately. Um, and on the other side of the coin, you would think these prices are good for food companies, but they have higher, uh, cost. They have, uh, the labor costs, the transportation costs, and then they have a consumer that's all of a sudden, because of high food prices and threat of recession, uh, they have um, kind of been more picky uh, with uh, the food. Um, One of the food companies said they noticed that the housewife is still spending the same amount of money every week, but she's buying less, and she's Uh, trying to be more picky um, with um, protein and good food relative to some of the snacks. But it is interesting that one company says they have a cart full of really good stuff. (laughs) But then when they head out and ready to register, they grab a bag of potato chips and a six-pack of pop. So um, they're they're still trying to keep um, some type of uh, normalcy in a period where it's
0: not normal. Uh, Thank God we still all have our food sins, don't we, Steve? And uh, potato chips and ice cream. And if we do that, I guess we just want the best, but it's all, it's, 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 we, we uh, break habits, break habits very toughly. So I I think you're right. I think you're right. As you think about the next 18 months, what do you think will be some of the biggest factors in a very complex and difficult world? I mean, um, I'm trying to ask this to each guest and see what they come up with. Um, and I'm sure they're going to be varied because there's so many things going on.
1: Well, I think the number one thing right now is demand. And, and, you know, are we going to have to drop export numbers of U.S. corn and beans either in May or June reports? And the May report is the first time we get twenty three, twenty four, And do they carry on the lower export numbers from this year, or do they use some of their outlook demand numbers, which would make the shock uh, to the trade a little less shocking? Um, and then I, I think that uh, once we get into the middle of June, all we do is trade us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's so many different views of what happens when you flip a coin from La Nina to El Nino and uh, there has been, only a few years in which the U.S. summer got warmer and drier <clears throat> during that time frame. But some of the signals suggest that we may not have the perfect transition uh, from what was considered maybe a dry drier pattern to a normal pattern this year in U.S. summer. Um, <clears throat> we're already seeing delays in plantings of spring wheat in U.S., it's going to be more rain next week in the eastern corn belt it could delay plantings there and we see some dryness coming back to the southern plains so when i look at wheat prices i think they're in um given the fact that u.s weather is not ideal but like you said earlier when the russian <clears throat> wheat council decides to sell wheat fifteen dollars below what we thought was the floor price for old crop and twenty dollars below what we thought was the floor And new crop, it just suggests that the wheat market's going to struggle um, until there's a weather problem. I think also the corn market has dropped too far, uh, too low, given the cash market and what it's saying and the uncertainty. We were almost trading a 183 corn yield right now. And, you know, it could be 179 overnight. Um, And then the beans, I think that uh, a record crush last month is just being offset by the lower exports. And and so it's it's kind of difficult market. Uh, You're seeing some very low sun oil, very low canola oil prices relative to palm. India's imports last month were down 30%. You know, China's numbers as far as vegetable imports are down. So I think, you know, weather is the most important thing. When we get into mid-June, through the 1st of August. And then I think we have to trade money flow after that. Um, do people put money back in the equity markets because the Fed have done increasing rates? Um, do we put money into gold because the whole world economy is starting to decline and we still have bank crisis here in the United States with three more regional banks in trouble and their stock prices trading down as much as 40% today alone. and. And finally, next year, what if um, Brazil has 159 million ton soybean crop and 132 million ton corn crop, and and Brazil and Argentina is back to 50 million tons of corn and bean? Then you're looking at much lower demand for U.S. exports and and lower prices. So. First is demand, which is bearish. Second is weather, which could be bullish um, during that last middle of June to first of August. And then after that, it could be bearish again. South America has normal crops next year.
0: You know, I uh, couldn't agree with you more, Steve. I think uh, we're looking at volatility being to keep word here, and uh, there's going to be opportunity, but there's also going to be fraught with risk. You know i want to I want to go back to your career, early days when you were working at Continental. You're down doing a crop tour. Who was your boss at that time?
1: Uh, Rich Feltes uh, was my boss, and uh, he taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about how to communicate with uh, traders because it's much different than like writing a book because traders want to know the last chapter. And if they have time, they'll read why you think the crop is a certain thing. He also taught me how to give presentations and how to you know, get the point across to traders. And he also taught me how to you know, talk to people, whether at the USDA, universities, from an agronomy standpoint. Because if you drive up to a farmer, you know, he's pretty much gonna say he's got the worst crop ever, even though he's standing behind the best crop ever. And when we talk to elevator,s I think that they have a good sense of local, but they don't have a good sense of the big picture. And I think that that's something that um, farmers I, I ran across saying, "Well, my crops are down," uh, but I tell them that the I tell them that the um, uh, big picture globally is that crops are getting bigger outside the United States and that our exports are getting smaller and that it's a global market, not a a market for central Iowa. Um, And so um, also at Continental Grain, I got to get boots on the ground looking at Brazil. We always got the yield, right? But we never quite sure what the acres were because they expanded every year. And in Argentina, the people were just extremely, super nice people in the interior. Um, and when I was there, I mean, the military was in charge. So the White House and the Congress was all boarded up. There were tanks in the streets. When you got into the interior, you saw that they had you know, a mission uh, to grow good crops, but half their land was still being used by cattle. And um, so that's something that can expand. And they have probably the second best uh, ground in the world compared to Ukraine. And um, in Canada, Western Canada, uh, it was just very desolate. I mean, you could drive for hours and not see anybody except wheat, barley, canola, and and uh, flaxseed, which was beautiful. In China, I met some people that when talking to the average Chinese person, and I said, if your country wants you to do something, will you do it? They said yes, because the 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 government knows what's good for me, or the government knows what's best for our country. And and that type of loyalty is not seen in too many other places voluntarily. Um they're very strict government as far as following uh, the president's policy and um, down the road, um, they might want to make some issues with Taiwan and they might want to make some issues with being self-sufficient. And I think all those things that I learned at Continental and in Dean Winter, I've tried to use at ADM. And the big thing with ADM is that there's a Chinese wall between me and, and all of the ADM data um, but um, there is conversation that I could have off the record to try to figure out, you know, what's going on as far as demand is concerned and, and what's going on as far as international trade. So I felt that there's some very good traders at ADM that kind of have the insight as to at least where the basis might be going, uh, which has always helped me and coming up with some price uh,
0: outlook. <clears throat> well, your world travels and your connections are amazing. I tell you, when I had you on this podcast, I, uh, and we announced it, we had uh, people calling and saying, make sure that you thank Steve for all of his years of, uh, of intelligence and his hard work and everything that he did for American and agri- world agriculture. And Steve, you are truly, truly uh, an ambassador for, for agriculture, and we can't thank you enough for all you've done. And I know you're still carrying on in a uh, form that uh, will help ADMIS and, and ADM, uh, but you're also helping others, and and I know they're very appreciative that you keep your finger in the pie. Steve, thank you for being on. Yeah, that, I'll give you a closing comment if you would.
1: Well, my dad taught me two things when I was growing up. Finish what you start and treat people like you would like yourself to be treated. And so I feel some kind of loyalty to the customers, and I feel like it's my job to get it right and be concise. And so um, I, I thank you for those uh, complimentary words, um, but I, every morning when I get up, I'm, I'm ready to go.
0: <laughs> Steve, thank you again for all you've done. It's amazing, you've had a great career. We can't wait to hear the final chapters, but we hope to run into you again sometime soon. Be well from uh, uh, the podcast of uh, Old Folks Do Grain. Thank you.